well. As you can see in your bulletins, the title of this sermon is Yes, Mary Knew, in response to a popular Christmas song, which we will talk a good bit about today. So this week, I found myself listening to a radio station playing, yes, Christmas carols. And if you know, the liturgist in me rails against starting Christmas before December 25th, and it's not something I usually do. But the culture understands Christmas as a day and not as a season. And by the time Christmas tide starts, Christmas carols end. So I gave in. I heard many of the old standards you would expect, even a few of my own favorites. Oh, Holy Night and God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen are two of the top of my list. Then I heard of a version of Mary Did You Know that I had never heard before. So I went to my Spotify account and I found others. I probably listened to Mary Did You Know a hundred times this week and no, I'm not exaggerating. I listened to pop versions and country versions, instrumental versions and acapella versions. I listened to the song so many times that Spotify now thinks it's one of my favorites and has added it to all of the mixes they make for me. Thank you very much. If you don't know the song, it's a series of questions asked of Mary about whether she knew her son would perform miracles and be the son of God. Performed first by the Gaither Vocal Band in the early 1990s, it has quickly become a new classic, covered by dozens of artists, truly dozens, and sung in many kinds of churches during Advent and Christmas tide. It is a beautiful song, but its theology stinks. Because here's the thing. We know Mary knew. The angel offers her this information near the beginning of chapter one, and Mary sings the song that Lois read back in response. So let's go back a little and read the text that this week's lection leaves out. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her, who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. Friends, we need to talk about Mary. 
Mary is most often depicted in Christian history as meek and mild and even mindless. But the woman we see in scripture is none of those things. She is strong and brave and committed. Most often in the biblical text, women enter the scene in their domestic tasks. Rachel draws water from the well. Bathsheba is taking a bath. Martha is fussing around the kitchen. The woman who lost a coin is sweeping the house. But with Mary, there is no biblical evidence of any domestic work on her part. Now, that's not to say she didn't do domestic work, but the text doesn't talk about her in her, domest- in her domesticity. We never find her cooking or cleaning or even doing the wash. We find a woman instead who loves adventure. We find her doing over and over traveling in journeys that involve risks and an element of danger, whether saying yes to God's wooing in this text or becoming a refugee in Egypt to save her baby son. There's no question then about whether Mary knew what God was doing. She said a bold yes to the angel of the Lord and thus became the beacon of gracious grit God knew her to be. And I know all of these things, right? We, I went to seminary, we did the work, and yet that song calls out to us, calls out to me. And I listened over and over to country versions and gospel versions and pop versions and instrumental versions. Why? What is it about this song that tugs at our hearts? Well, for me, there are at least two reasons. First, I think it surfaces what we all feel when we look at a baby's face. Pure love and potential. There's a line in the song that says, when you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. And we do indeed kiss the face of the image of God within all of us or at least the image of the Holy One within us all when we kiss those sweet faces. And this is my PSA that it's um, RSV season. Please don't kiss a baby that's not yours. Uh, But that's not enough, I don't think, to give this song the kind of enduring power that it seems to have garnered over these last three decades. I don't think it makes us stick. So what is it that makes Mary, did you know, stick to us? I think the song asks questions that our own hearts betray. It's like when reporters ask the next-door neighbors of serial killers if they knew, right? Did you know something was off about this person? And what do they usually say? No, they seem perfectly normal. And we feel relieved, and we reason that, if well, if they didn't know who were so close, then we're off the hook. After all, the questions in the song are questions our own hearts might ask in these long winter nights of waiting. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? Did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? And it keeps, you see how it's ratcheting up to this final crescendo of, did you know that your baby boy is the great I am? Do we really believe those things? Do we really believe that this is within the power of God? 
Do we really believe that this tiny baby will become the man of Nazareth, the teacher we have professed to follow? It's a gamble, this kind of faith. It's a gamble Mary was willing to make, and for her faithfulness and her consent, she is remembered from generation to generation as the Theotokos, the God-bearer. Songs are powerful. They can spin a new world with their words. There's significant evidence that music, not mere words, but words set to tune, can actually change the way this frontal cortex works in our brains. There's also evidence that in persons with dementia, songs are the thing they remember until the end. Cultures across known time have used songs to tell their stories and teach their children. And so it is here. The writer of the Gospel of Luke suffuses his work with art, with song and poetry and even drama. And we get the first taste of it here in Luke chapter 1. Mary travels to her cousin's home where she goes and finds her pregnant cousin also expecting an impossible child. And I find it fascinating the way that the writer of the Gospel of Luke structures this text. If you recall, before we find out about Jesus coming, we hear the angel of the Lord coming to the priest Zechariah and telling him that though his wife had been barren, she will now produce a child. How is this possible, he asks. He is incredulous. And so the angel makes Zechariah mute until such a time that John the Baptist is born. Maybe we should sing a song called Zechariah, Did You Know? Yet immediately following, we have Mary responding to an equally impossible pregnancy, and she believes. The temple priest, with his training and life's work, couldn't believe for the promise. But a single young woman says yes to God's work in her life. And so I think Mary herself offers a better song than the Gaithers. In the home of the priest, Mary sings this song of God's power. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has remembered his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. We would do well to remember, my friends, what David Lose writes here. Mary's God delights in taking what is small and insignificant in the eyes of the world to do extraordinary and unexpected things. So it has been and ever shall be, according to the promise God made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Amen. Amen.